obviously you've come to the Leading Saints podcast because you love podcasts and you love consuming content in this manner, uh, listening to a pre-recorded conversation or interview or presentation. And we get a lot of good stuff here, but nothing compares to an in-person retreat experience. This is one thing I've learned in the last few years that we are infusing into our Leading Saints content is the need for in-person experiences, also known as retreats. So Leading Saints has started putting on retreats, both for men, women. Uh, we're going to play around with couples retreats and now we'll, we'll try it all. But retreats are a transformational experience. And I implore you to go check out leadingsaints.org slash gathering, where we list all of the upcoming retreats. Uh, some are open to register, others you can get on a waiting list, but we would love to have you at the next in-person retreat. Now, if you can't afford it, if there maybe if you price out of these opportunities, don't worry, we have very generous donors willing to put up money for scholarships. So either go there, check it out, register, or apply for a scholarship, and we'd love to have you at the next Gathering Saints retreat put on by Leading Saints. So go to leadingsaints.org slash gathering to check out the upcoming Gathering Saints retreats. I had the pleasure of interviewing Jeff McCullough, who is the creator of Hello Saints, a YouTube channel where Jeff, who is a evangelical pastor, explores the Latter-day Saint world. Everything from our doctrine to our culture to locations where we live and so forth. And many of you are probably now more familiar with Jeff compared to the time that I recorded this interview uh, because he had a recent viral video, we could probably call it, of his reaction to attending a general conference. He attended the Saturday morning and Saturday afternoon sessions of this uh, past October 2022 general conference. And in that video, it gives me a few shout outs. But this interview that you're about to hear was actually recorded a few weeks before he uh, attended conference. And this was actually the beginning of sort of having a friendship that led to him giving me a shout out in that video. And so we explore all things uh, leadership in the context of, of his personal life being a evangelical pastor and leading in that role. And we just talk about why he would start a YouTube channel about Latter-day Saints. So I think you'll appreciate this episode. Let's jump into my interview with Jeff McCullough, the creator of Hello Saints. Jeff McCullough, welcome to the Leading Saints podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. Now, you are an atypical guest because I typically drag in here Latter-day Saints, but you, don't, you do not identify as a Latter-day Saint, right? That's correct. No, I'm, I was born and bred evangelical Protestant and uh, have served for many years in uh, a pastoral role in that context. Nice. And th these are the little details that maybe I assume or I think I understand, but when someone says evangelical, it's the same as saying Protestant, right? For all intents and purposes, yeah. Okay. I mean, with within any faith community, the different groups, um, there there are always nuances. Yeah. Um, I think typically when it comes to evangelical, um, that might be slightly different from some of the the older um, uh, denominations that maybe were closer to the Reformation, like. Mm -hmm. 
the Church of England and Episcopal Church. I don't know if they would necessarily consider themselves evangelical, but once you get into Methodist, Baptist, Pentecostals, you know, the non-denoms, nice. all that stuff. Yeah. That's so if, if I show up to a Protestant church and throw around the word evangelical, nobody's going to be like, Hey, wait a minute. Right. Not necessarily. I mean, yeah. no, although that also gets into uh, <laughs> evangelical as a term that has recently fallen out of favor in the political American oh. social conversation, which is a whole other nuance. Yeah, but that's a podcast I do not want to host, but <laughs> no, it, it gets complicated. <laughs> nice. So uh, just with your personal background and, and religious background, born and raised evangelical and and believing in the Jesus and, and doing the things, right? Yep. Uh, as far back as I can remember, I was raised in church, raised in Sunday school. Um, we were always very committed, very passionate. I think one of the most important aspects to my faith journey is that um, my parents were very, very intent on making sure that I recognize that um, our faith is not about religious practice per se, as much as it is about relationship with God, um, which has always been really central to um, yeah to my, my faith journey. So the ups and the downs, the, the seasons of feeling, you know, like I was thriving in ministry all the way to the other end of the spectrum, the seasons where I felt I was struggling with doubts and faith crisis, um, has always been very relational in the mm -hmm. context of where I stand before the Lord. So, but yeah, I, I mean, I've bounced around to within a lot of different denominations as well. So, um, within the Protestant world, I've been connected to, the uh, Methodist, Baptist, um, Pentecostals, Lutherans, Presbyterians. I've, I've got, I, I've, I've been involved in all the different circles and they all have, have contributed pretty yeah. significantly just to my faith pedigree. Yeah. And, and so I'm with your parents intention of, of making sure it's more of a, a relationship with, with God or Jesus Christ. Um, like what is, what does the typical path look like? I mean, just too rigid or too just focused on going through the motions or what did that look like in your, like in an up or in someone else's upbringing other yeah. than your own? Yeah. You know, I was having a really awesome conversation with, um, a, a guy up in Logan last week, he's actually a Latter-day Saint and he was kind of processing with me how within the Latter-day Saint church, um, and this is something I can relate to and even the evangelical church, uh, how often our doctrines and practices can become um, elevated to a point that we begin to major on the minors. Mm -hmm. um, and at the end of the day, uh, it, it, it can, you know, whatever, whatever distinctive your faith group has, you know, in the Protestant uh, sense, that might mean for the Baptists who get really wrapped up on predestination or once saved, always saved for the Pentecostals who are going to get really fixated on speaking in tongues and the gifts of the Holy spirit. Um, whether that be the Presbyterians who get incredibly academic and, and very theological, um, all of those things will, if we're not careful, get in the way of at the end of the day, what matters most, what is the spiritual reality of your soul and of your life before the one who created you. And, um, being able to kind of keep that in central focus has been like a rallying, a rallying point for me. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. So, uh, raised in, raised in a very, um, religious home, I guess. I don't know if that's the right term that you mm -hmm. use, but I mean, you were going to church on Sundays, right? Like that. Yeah. <laughs> Sunday, no Sunday mornings, Sunday nights, Wednesday evenings, 
um, youth group on Tuesdays. Like, yeah, we were doing it all. Yeah, you were all in, right? And yep. um, was it when was the moment that you thought, you know, I think I want to be a pastor? <laughs> my my mom claims she saw it when I was a teenager. I wasn't <laughs> seeing it then, though. Um, I'm sure every like evangelical mother has that moment, right? <laughs> probably, yeah, yeah. Um, it, it honestly, it wasn't until I was in my late twenties. Um, I was working in the corporate world um, four or five years out of college. And um, I, I remember where I was. I was standing outside of HR after just letting someone go, as it mm -hmm. were, and just feeling hollow and, you know, what someone's livelihood was directly impacted by a, a bottom line money motivated decision. And I just, I started to just pray about that and just felt the Lord kind of beckoning me, inviting me into something that would be of more eternal value. Um, and that started conversations with my wife, with the pastor at the church that I grew up at, and then doors just began to open. So, yeah. And then when you like, what's the steps to doing that? Like, obviously in our faith tradition, I, I was 28 years old and they came to me and said, we want you to be a Bishop. And I'm like, Oh, okay. Well, can I bring my marketing degree along with me? And like, Oh, sure. Right. You know? <laughs> so what's the, what, what are the steps that actually, you know, be considered and, and yeah. start as a pastor? Uh, well, it's, it's going to vary from denomination to denomination. Some, some, and I would say even most Protestant denominations will have a, a very, um, clear, um, process, a relatively rigorous process that you have to go through over a number of years of training and oversight cohorts, mentorship, seminary, um, which is grad school in a Protestant context, um, which was pretty similar to what my, my context was. There are some, um, maybe of the more charismatic sects that um, are a little looser with it, where they're like, as long as you want to do it and people over you see that you're wanting to do it, like go for it. Here's your ordination. So, um, but for me, it was that it was, it was going to, to seminary. It was um, going through an ordination process and it was a, about an eight year process. Um, wow. and, and I think one thing that's really important to point out, I, I've, it's, it's really funny because as I talk to Latter-day Saints, there's things that, um, you know, I'll say, I was talking to Latter-day Saint a couple of weeks ago and I was saying, you know, I, I actually thought that Latter-day Saints worshiped in the temple every Sunday. And she was like belly laughing at that. Like, cause she thought that was the most hilarious <laughs> thing she'd ever heard. Yeah. And I'm like, I didn't know any better. Uh, <laughs> uh, going the other direction, when I talk to a lot of Latter-day Saints, they don't realize that a lot of pastors, um, a vast majority, specifically in America, they're fully vocational in ministry. That's 40 hours a week. Right. Um, and so, yeah, that, that looked like day to day. It was, um, it was vision casting, ministry meetings, um, budgets, counseling, officiating weddings, funerals, um, baby dedications, sermon prep, preaching, teaching classes, discipleship, all of those things kind of are entailed in a pastoral yeah. vocational role. So when you started going to a seminary, did you like stay with your corporate job doing that until no. you, or you jumped right into it? Yeah. Thankfully I was in a situation where I was able to, it, it the, the easiest way to describe it would be almost like an apprenticeship Mm -hmm. type of situation where I was able to be working in the church full-time while also uh, working on my credentials and on my uh, grad degree. Nice. And it, it worked out for you. I mean, you, you don't have many regrets during that time as far as the oh, path none, you went. None yeah. whatsoever. Um, uh, you know, it's, it's, 
that uh, aspect of ministry is as important as anything else, if not the most. So that's that's the foundational time frame, right? I mean, when Paul had his conversion experience, he spent um, my, many, many years. He went off the map um, before he actually launched into his missionary journeys. And I think that was because he was spending time with the apostles and he was being trained and, and, um, mm-hmm. un- learning, unlearning the whole thing. So yeah, I, I just, yeah. I found that to be a really valuable time. Nice. So I don't want to go too much further in our discussion without, uh, I feel like the core of what brought us together is this uh, current project you're working on called hello saints. And as a Latter-day Saint, I just look at this and I'm just like, why, <laughs> Why, why would a, a pastor do this? Like, I mean, I'm, I'm sort of, I'm, you know, I'm honored and, and I feel like as a compliment, but uh, maybe where did this idea come from? And, and for those who aren't familiar with it, what is it? Yeah, th- there's probably six or seven ways I can answer that question, to be honest with you, um, because there were a lot of motivating factors that played into it and a lot of things that I would say, I don't know, you if you want to call it divine appointment, if you want to call it serendipity, I, whatever you would want to call it. But I just feel like a lot of things kind of fell into place. But the impetus of it really was um, me recognizing as uh, I walked through a few things prior to the pandemic. And then during the pandemic that um, kind of challenged my expectation and even aspirations about what ministry could or should look like uh, beyond just like your typical um, uh, predictable career pastor. Um, I was feeling like, especially once we got into the pandemic, seeing the world, everybody had to to break stride in normal day life. Mm. And, um, that led a lot of people to, to really grapple with like, why do I live here? Or why do I work here? Or why do I worship this way? Right. We all, we all went through that crisis. Um, I went through that to a certain extent and, uh, where it led me was, um, just by happenstance in June of 2020. So in the first part of the pandemic, um, taking a trip out West and interacting with some people in Salt Lake city, some friends of mine. And for the first time seeing, um, the LDS culture, maybe I'll say it this way. The first time entering into the bubble that yeah. I did not know existed in yeah. the latter day St. Corridor. I had no idea, um, that this faith group, uh, was as active as they were there. I knew mm-hmm. they were present there, but I didn't know it was any more of a presence than, German Catholics in the Midwest where I'm from. Yeah. Like everybody has some tie to like German Catholics, but very few of them are very devout anymore. Um, I thought that's how it was in Utah. And then I yeah. get out there and I'm seeing a Latter-day Saint churches on every corner, sometimes like across the street from each other. And I'm like, what is this place? Um, I, I, I to be honest, so I kind of, I kind of brushed it aside until, I believe it was the Lord. He was just inviting me into something different, something unique, uh, something unpredictable. And that is what if in the midst of vaccine or no vaccine, masks or no masks, uh, should we embrace Black Lives Matter or not? Um, Like all of these social, political, you know, Trump or anti-Trump, you bring that even into the church and... I started to realize how polarizing a culture um, we are when pressed. We were pressed mm. during the pandemic and what came out 
a lot of polarizing conversation. And um, I was just feeling like, what if, what if we can have like faith conversations um, in a disarming, dignified, respectful way? Um, now you mer- you merge that with the trip I took out to Utah, and then I started interacting with pastors out in Utah. I started interacting with Latter Day Saints, former Latter Day Saints, and I just felt super compelled to take my undergrad passion, which is audio video production and marketing, and merge it with ministry. And um, the more I started to engage with Latter Day Saints, I'm like, these are really sweet, kind people. Mm-hmm. They're super devout. Um, I don't know a lot about them. Maybe it would be fun if I learned and maybe they'll hear me out and hear my perspective as well. Because part of the motivation, to be honest with you, is some of my Latter-day Saint connections I was making out in Utah, they were like, we don't really know what Protestant Christianity even is. Like, we don't know what goes on in Protestant churches. We kind of know the differences. We kind of don't. All we know is that when, you know, we went on our mission, they weren't very nice to us sometimes. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So I was like, great. Sounds like we got a lot to talk about. And that was where the the vision for Hello Saints kind of uh, started. And it is a channel that is what I state it to be every time. Uh, If you don't know who I am, my name is Jeff. I'm a Christian pastor exploring everything I can about the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Um, My hope is to learn, to react, and to provide my perspective. So let's have a conversation. Uh, I'm leading with relationship. I'm I'm working super hard to lead with kindness, Um, even where there's disagreement, to do it with respect and to not destroy your dignity as a devout, um, earnest seeker who, um, might believe different from me. Um, even if I have really strong concerns, I have no business coming after your dignity. So I'm going to, I'm going to do everything I can to keep my respect for you intact as we talk. And that I have really appreciated as I've uh, watched the content you've been producing, just that kindness of, because even, and maybe it's just, you know, I remember times on my mission, sort of one, one time in particular, I, I was at a gas pump. I'm like filling up my car and suddenly I'm surrounded by these pastors who want to tell me, you know, where I'm going and why I'm wrong. And I'm just like, I just getting gas, man. Like, you know, and, yeah. um, but just that kindness of like, cause it, it's so easy to go to, Oh, you know, the, the Joseph Smith stories, the polygamy, the underwear that, you know, there's so many of those low blows that we're so tired of. And so just, mm-hmm. just have someone like you engage with us in a very respective manner. And at the end of the day, in many of your videos, you say, I just, I disagree. And here's a few scriptures. Why? And now, now we both know a few things, right? right? And you move on and it's great. Right. So yeah, the, right. the kindness has been so refreshing in, in the content you've created. Well, and you know, at the end of the day, this, uh, I, I could, I, I start to get into risky, uh, waters here because I have to speak outside of the, right. the orthodoxical comfort zone of my context. But at the end of the day, um, it is not my job to, um, to get in someone's face and tell them where uh, I believe their soul stands before God. That's between you and the Lord. Yeah. Um, and we can all learn might, from that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sad. Right. So, so I, I can, um, I can give you my perspective on a, a faith construct on, um, doctrinal issues. I, I think we can have conversations there right. maybe to put it more directly or more provocatively. Um, I, I might be judgmental of your beliefs or some of the belief systems you have, but I don't see anywhere where I'm called to, to, um, be the judge of your soul. So, um, where you stand before the Lord, 
man, I'm, I'm not going to speak into that. You know where you stand before the Lord and I'm, I'm going to trust the Lord in that. So um, that's another boundary I try to maintain. Yeah. So who would you say is your audience? Is it more Latter-day Saints and secondarily, you know, people from your, your faith tradition or does it change or what do you think? And oh, maybe you, you have no control over that. I don't know. I have no control over it and it's straight up Latter-day Saints. I oh, was yeah. not expecting that at all. Um, I was expecting a few convinced latter, you know, devout Latter-day Saints, a few questioning Latter-day Saints and a few curious Christians. Yeah. Um, and I, I t- honestly, Kurt, I, I've, I have done work on other YouTube channels. I was not expecting this to garner more than 200 to 600 views per video. This was a passion side project. Yeah. Um, and now that I'm getting the number of views that I am, it's super duper clear in the comment section that my audience is like 98% um, devout Latter-day Saints. Nice. And, that, and that's what you're, what you're aiming for, right? It is now. Like, oh, okay. <laughs> I mean, before it was just like, I, I, if you watch the very first video I put out, I kind of speak to this. I'm like, this is for current Latter-day Saints, former Latter-day Saints, current evangelicals, people who have maybe deconstructed their faith altogether. It's faith yeah. conversations, right? Mm-hmm. But it, it has become much more a two-way dialogue between an evangelical pastor and a gigantic group of Latter-day Saints. Yeah. So what would you say to, to this audience, you know, and you know, we're leadership focused, so it's typically uh, very devout Orthodox individuals and the Latter-day Saint, you know, the church of Jesus Christ, Latter-day Saints. Um, why should they check it out or what, what should they look for uh, to when they look up your channel? Um, when, when you're serving a group of people, so, you know, if this is, and, and I don't fully understand all the ins and outs of the, the ecclesiological construct of the LDS church. So forgive me if I'm saying things that don't make complete sense, but if anytime you're, you're serving a people, uh, a congregation in my sense, a ward, um, it is super easy to get very, uh, internal focus, internally focused and mm-hmm. to, there are layers of bubbles that we find ourselves in. And even within my congregation or even within your ward, um, you might find yourself uh, in an echo chamber of um, experiences and contextual assumptions and understandings. I think what I would say to your audience, why I would, I would invite them to check out my channel is to join me in what I'm attempting to do to step outside of my bubble, to step outside of my comfort zone and to see that curiosity isn't, probably as dangerous as we might think it is. Yeah. And I mean, the, the most gratifying thing about this experience so far truly has been the personification of Latter-day Saints. Hmm. I know it might sound strange, but I started at this as, this is a people group I'm unfamiliar with a people group, a category. Yeah. I, I, Mormons is what I called you. I didn't even know you don't like to be called that. So <laughs> Latter-day Saints, that's all, that's what you were. But now I, I see you as Kurt and David and Caleb and Rachel. And, you know, now, now your, your names, your faces, your, your dads and mothers and sisters and brothers, um, to be able to connect on that level of just humanity, um, has been, has been really eye-opening for me to just, uh, find that there is safety in conversing and getting outside of that bubble. And I just find it very edifying. Yeah. No, that's such a, 
fantastic principle that I think we could all apply to some level. Um, you know, we, we often have this, uh, this phrase and, and I'm sure it comes up in other faith traditions, but people will say, Oh, that's not doctrine. That's culture. Like, Oh, you didn't like mm-hmm. church or you stopped going. Oh, that's, that was because that's the culture, not the doctrine. Right. And I've, I sat with this question of like, why? So if it is culture, like how did the negative culture get into our, into our community here? And why aren't we talking about how it got in rather than just saying that's what it is. Like, let's get the elephant out of the room rather than just point at it. Right. And so, and one yeah. concept I came to is a uh, negative culture is stimulated by lack of exposure. Uh, you know, when we talk about us and them, or we take a group and just sort of label them, like, you know, th- that's the LGBT group, you know, they, 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 they just want to sin. Oh man. You know, if they just would understand what Christ taught, you know, and, and we sort of label them and categorize them. And, and in a sense we dismiss them. But in my experience, when I've walked across the street to the the gay couple that lives in my neighborhood and got to know them, invite them over to dinner and, you know, and engage with them again, not to preach at them or to change them, but, mm-hmm. but just to see them as human. Suddenly it's like, Oh, I have a, uh, a new level of empathy and, and exposure that's going to stimulate a more productive culture, even in my own religion, whether they show up on Sunday or not. Right. And so yeah. I, I appreciate like just this effort of gaining exposure to a group of people. So they actually become human. Yeah. Right. And I just feel like our, um, our climate, our cultural climate in general, our social climate in general, even in yeah. America is w- we are so desiring, but afraid of this. And that is to, to, to treat people with, I keep coming back to this word cause it's really important to me. Dignity. Yeah. Like, even if I disagree with you, mm-hmm. why, why can't, uh, why can't you maintain your dignity? Why can't I maintain mine? Why, at what point did we feel that the only way that we can agree to disagree is if I tear you down and who should be leading, who should be leading disarming conversations where we treat people with respect, even if we disagree, should it not be the body of Christ, which is what uh, the mantle that I feel like the Lord has invited me into. So, um, I'm, I'm just really grateful that it's being reciprocated from a lot of Latter-day Saints to be like, yeah, we'll talk. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I think, you know, you mentioned the, the bubble earlier, you know, obviously our church is international it's everywhere, but there is this saturation and, and this, this uh, grouping of us in along the Wasatch front. And it is helpful because it, it is, you know, I was just in green Bay, Wisconsin. And, and as I travel to other States, it just, I often forget like, Oh, like you go to, you know, you go to Walmart and the clerk is definitely not part of your church, but you go to Walmart in Utah and eh, 80% chance probably, you know, <laughs> right. like, right. or, or just the way people dress or, you know, you can, you can perceive just their lifestyle yeah. and like, oh yeah, they're just in a different stake. And, but we're yeah. all Latter-day Saints. And so for you to sort of insert yourself, you know, through the powers of YouTube and other online platforms to say, Hey, I'm Jeff. Like, let me tell you a bit about me. Yeah. You know, I think that's so productive because just naturally, whether good or bad, it's, it's the way it is here in Utah. And we can't like tell three fourths the state to leave so we can import, you know, new uh, diversity. But uh, we just don't get that even on the day to day was we're going to the store as much as yeah. I would like, you know, and I could probably be more proactive because there are churches I pass that I've never even thought about walking into that are not our, our, of our faith. But um, so I really appreciate that, that dynamic that you do through this. 
Well, and I, I mean, and there's where, like you're talking about Wisconsin, you know, I'm in um, Southern Illinois, right across the river from St. Louis. I'm 15 minutes from the arch. I just drove by it an hour ago. So I'm, I'm like, I'm in this really interesting part of the country where it's technically like Midwestern Christianity, but I'm a stone's throw away from Arkansas and Kentucky and mm-hmm. the, the true deep South Bible Belt. I, I will say the Bible Belt is super duper similar to Utah and Idaho. Oh, okay. Like, yeah, you go to Walmart in, um, in Alabama, that, that's that's another evangelical probably. Like right. The yeah, yeah. There's probably an evangelical. <laughs> now, once you get out of there and you get like further north in the Midwest, especially when you get out to the East Coast, Northeast, my wife is from New York. Um, yeah, that's that's a different story. <laughs> At that point, it's it's a completely different mix of faith groups. But um, I think that's that was one of the endearing things about Utah when I was out there. It's like, hey, I've been here before. It, it was it was called Georgia. It wasn't called Utah. Uh-huh. And and it was evangelicals. It wasn't Latter Day Saints. And yeah. that, I say that in my first video too. I'm like, there's there's a rhyme there that's really fascinating. Yeah. And is that um, I mean, because I've I've looked, you know, I'm born and raised in Utah, and there's this desire for me to get out of the bubble because I've sort of, especially in a very um, missionary minded faith tradition, I, I would be I, I would love to interact with more non-members as we, as we turn them so that I could engage with them more, not necessarily just to baptize them, but if I could offer the gospel of Jesus Christ to somebody that is looking for a, a, you know, a, a new direction or better or, um, a different way to perceive that, that I could offer that. But here it's like, oh yeah, I, no, I don't, I get it. They, they like, probably get it. Yeah. 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 So, but, so is it, is this a good thing that even in, in Georgia or the, in the Bible belt that we're so saturated or because diversity feels like progress at times, but maybe it's not, maybe we should just appreciate the fact that I live in this bubble. I, you know, I, there's no, the the only time there's going to be a perfect community is when, uh, when we stand shoulder to shoulder in the presence of the Lord and he, he makes all things new. Right. Yeah. Um, I, as long as we're here in this terrestrial existence, we are going to, um, see the pros and cons of our context. Um, we usually see more of the cons of our immediate context. I don't, I, I wouldn't say that it's holistically good or holistically bad. Yeah. I think that there, for, what I would say for my context is, uh, the Lord is always at work. He always has greater desires for your context than you do. Yeah. But he so invites true. you to join him in that. So to me, it's it's less about how saturated the community is in faith as much as it is about what is the Lord doing around you and how does he want to use you? Um, you know, you, you see in the scriptures, it talks about how, you know, there are some who plant the seed, some who water the seed, some, some who bring in the harvest. Uh, I'm a strong believer in that. So however the Lord desires to use you and your sphere of influence mm-hmm. um, is really what what matters at the end of the day. Yeah. I'm curious, um, sort of somewhat related to that, just with your, uh, pastor experience and how your church runs, like in our faith, we're so, we're very much focused on, on bringing people, you know, gathering Israel, as we say, or, or baptizing people. And, and obviously, you know, many of us have had that opportunity to be sent somewhere in the world and to preach our gospel and, and to invite people to be baptized. And so it's easy to create this focus of success on these baptismal numbers. Mm-hmm. And even in Utah, like I'm in the, um, word mission right now and, you know, and 
and there's this in Utah where we're so saturated where there's this focus on how many baptisms we're getting. And there's oftentimes I'm thinking, you guys, like there's maybe five people in our, in our ward area, ward boundaries that isn't a Latter-day Saint. Like, why don't we focus on just bringing people back to church so that they feel comfortable joining us on Sunday rather than getting the next baptism? Cause that's sort of the sign of success. So what, what is that, um, <laughs> that that dynamic look like in your faith tradition yes that yeah, the same like that. okay <laughs> <laughs> it looks like that so what are we talking about here we are talking about uh existential beings who have a physical and metaphysical part to them it sounds like i'm going off on left field but i'm not go with me okay. here. Right. um and and we're we are grappling with our condition before an almighty god and we have these institutions and organizations that have, they work their darndest at qualifying and quantifying that very dynamic experience. Yeah. We qualify. What do I mean by that? I mean, it's, it's really what comes down to the conversations that are had even between faith. So um, you're not saved. I'm saved. You know, but that's not how you do it. This is how you do it. Right. Um, you're not a real Christian. I'm a real Christian, whatever. Like, so, and there, there are valuable conversations to be had there. We, we, yeah, we sure. qualify. Yeah. Um, and when that runs short, then we quantify, well, how many baptisms, how many, um, how many sinners prayers that's going to be big in the evangelical world. Um, do you, is the sinner's prayer something familiar in an LDS context? That, that's a different, that's a term. I'm not the sinner's prayers. Oh gosh. The, so introduce us, Jeff. It, this it is makes a you wonder, it makes me want to reach in and just like hug all of the Latter-day Saints and be like, I love you guys. I think this is great. I can't wait to talk to you about this. Uh, okay. So I only say that because like anybody who's everybody uh, southeast of the Mississippi knows what the center's prayer is. And that is, um, just think Billy Graham. Mm -hmm. He has like these big crusades and um, at, he, he preaches a salvation message that you need to repent. You can't do anything about your sin. You need to come to Christ right. and come down to the altar and receive Jesus or come down to the front. Um, and then typically speaking, it's this, and now repeat after me, Lord. And I'm just, it, it doesn't have to be these exact words, but it's something okay. along these lines. And this is Lord, like, would be Billy Graham would do this in front of a thousand people. So I say this, I say Billy Graham, he would do this in front of, 80,000 people. Like right, we're talking sure, yeah. this gigantic, um, Stadium, crusade, right. which became adopted by any and every church throughout the 20th century. Okay. Uh, I, uh, am currently very closely tied with the church. It still does. It's at the end of every single one of your services. Okay. Do you have a personal relationship with God? Have you, um, have you surrendered your life to him? If not, uh, I would invite you to do so. And I would, and I would ask you to pray a prayer, something like this. And sometimes I'll have you repeat it. Lord, I recognize I am a sinner. I recognize I can do nothing about my sin. I am hopeless without you. Um, I recognize that you sent your son out of your love to redeem me from my sin, to save me, to, to shed his blood on the cross for my sin. And that is my only hope. Um, I repent of my sins. I turn from my sins. I, I embrace all that Jesus offered me on the cross. I promise to follow you for the rest of my days. And I look forward to your return in Jesus name. Amen. Now, listen, those words have power because oh, I, I think it. they're beautiful yeah. and uh, they're, they're directly what the apostles call was. It's what Jesus call was. Right. But what happens then though, is you take that, that beautiful, powerful invitation and you reduce it to a cue card and you hand it to someone 
and you just have them read it. And if, if you've handed out a cue card or if they've signed it, or if you've even just got somebody, then we can put a tally mark, tally mark, tally mark. So then we're constantly reporting to our denominational leaderships or different ministry groups to be like, we had this many baptisms, this many sinners prayers, this many conversions, this many in Pentecostal circles. It was really big too of um, this many people have spoken in tongues and mm -hmm. the more, the higher the numbers, the more success there is. And here's what I bring that always back to What's what's going on with your neighbor. I mean, what's going on with the person across the street? When was the last time you invited the person in the cubicle next to you over for, for dinner or, or out to lunch and, and talked about things other than the Cardinals and the blues, mm -hmm. um, which is, the two greatest sports teams on planet earth, but <laughs> okay. there are other things to talk about. Um, <laughs> but it really comes back to um, that more dynamic, like how are you living out your testimony more than the numbers in my opinion. Yeah. And, and there's sort of this dynamic that you can, I mean, if those numbers are looking good, you can lay down at night being like, oh man, Gosh. doing the Lord's work. Like we're doing it, we're crushing it, you know? And, and we, or if I have this baptism where, you know, we baptize a family and we get the, the picture of everybody in white, you know, we're out front of the church. It's like, man, we're doing it, you know, but at yeah. the end of the day, like, are we really doing it? Right. And right. that's sort of where it gets, we miss it at times. And, and it I sounds totally like agree. similar dynamics happen in, in your experience as well. And, and especially in the Protestant realm, what, what you're triggering in my con, in my mind, based on my context, um, is, so if, if the savior shows up right here, um, whether it's at a temple, whether it's in my church, whether it's wherever, is he looking for a checklist? Is that what he's looking for? Right, right, I want to see right. your checklist, your checklist, your checklist. What, what are all the things you've done? What are all the things you haven't done? You know, have you, have you fulfilled this thing? Have you done that thing? I, I, is that really what he came to do to, to, to direct us towards checklists and make sure that we've checked all the boxes or is it, come unto me, those who are heavy laden and burdened, and I will give you rest for your souls. Mm -hmm. Right. Or was it that, was it an, uh, a more, um, relational invitation? Uh, yeah. and, and when I say all that, I'm not even trying to demean those rituals and practices that people might want to carry out in their churches. I think right. the way the, the Lutherans do the sacraments is beautiful. Um, I, I think that a devout Catholic who is going through all the ritualistic stuff at mass can be doing that out of a truly worshipful heart before Jesus. Um, so there's nothing wrong with those things per se, but um, to me, it's, it's just more about where we are before the Lord more than it is about the numbers. Yeah. And, and so I'm curious from your, from a leadership standpoint or a, a pastoral standpoint, what do you, how do you guide your congregation in a way that, so you don't get to, focused on the, the sinner's prayers or the, the, those, those quantitative items. I think the examples we have in the new Testament, especially are a great rallying point, whether it's Jesus, whether it's the apostles, whether it's Paul's exhortations in the epistles. Um, I, I feel that that's the importance of remaining in the word is that there's a constant um, prototype in Jesus, the disciples, of the early church that shows us what it looks like to be living a life, not in the flesh, but by the spirit mm -hmm. walking by faith, not by sight. Um, that's why you'll hear a lot of evangelicals say we're Bible believing, you know, that that's not because we exalt the Bible to like almost this 
idolic status where we like worship the Bible. No, it's because that's our rallying point. We believe that everything that is necessary for knowing who God is, why he came Mm -hmm. and um, what's necessary in order to see him clearly is in the scriptures. So um, that's, that's how I lead. I lead with the word of God. Um, I point people to the example of Jesus who um, I mean, his, his whole ministry was about who was he harshest to? He was the most harsh to the, those who were so religiously devout that they felt they had it together and right. nobody else did. Um, yeah. That's who he was harshest with. Who, who was he, who was he the most disarming around? It was those who were, meek in spirit. Um, it was those who were grieving. It was the beatitudes, right? That, that wasn't a list of platitudes. I really don't believe that the, 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 um, beatitudes were platitudes. Mm-hmm. I believe they were his life. Right. I think that was based on experience who he was living in and among, and those who were truly being receptive to the, the life-giving message that he had brought from the father. So, um, yeah. that's, that's what I try to lead with driving people to the word and driving people to being led in their daily life by the Holy spirit. Yeah. And it, it becomes a much more relational gospel at that point, right? Like that. Yes. You, you realize, Oh, Jesus actually wants a relationship with me. He's not like yes. trying to qualify me or, or get out his measuring stick. Me like you're almost there, buddy. Like go yeah. hit that checklist better next time. Right. Right. Uh, it's all and about relationship. And that's the power of the gospel is, is a relational gospel. Right. Yes. Um, so, and, and I would, and here's the the tough part, and, and this is it would be interesting to uh, explore with the, from your experience perspective that you could interview every you know every member of our quorum of the twelve, the first presidency, every stake president in the world, bishop, relief society president, whatever, and they would say, "Yep, yep, that's I believe that, Jeff. Like I completely agree." But then our human nature somehow we bring it brings us back to these. Like we get in this mindset of like, okay, yeah, it's a relational gospel. We want everybody to have a relationship with Jesus Christ, but what we should do is create a program and that program will give us some structure, you know, some routines and it'll be great because people will come into these programs and they'll do the routines and then they'll end up with a relationship at the end of the, at the end of the row. Right. But in an effort of doing that, we then be exalt the program. I mean, like, well, make sure you're doing that program, right? Because it is a relationship is so nuanced, right? It's like, there's no five-step plan. It's just like, and it's, and it can vary from person to person, right? And so we get sucked into these programs and, and our church is a stellar example of this, where we have, you know, our come follow me program where, and, and I want my audience to be, uh, you, my audience knows my heart, I hope. I, I love these programs and mm-hmm. I get that they're inspired and they're good and a lot of goods come from them. But oftentimes we have the come follow me program and it can feel like just homework. Like, Oh yeah, I gotta, we're in Isaiah. Like gotta, gotta hit those chapters, you know? And it's like, okay, here I go. Yep. I'm looking for a relationship, but I got to get through these chapters. Right. So yeah. th- th- those dynamics exist in your faith tradition. And if so, like, how do you, and, and I guess it is, you go to the, the, sinner's prayer like that's sort of this pro you've you've programized it right that we're gonna have these cue cards and then we'll pass them out and then they're gonna sign it it's gonna be awesome right it was like well why don't we just say the prayer and go home right so what what thoughts come to mind after i say all that yeah no to to answer the the overall question is that is that something that exists in my context 100 percent. i mean that we're we're always fighting against that it's you know something that's really big in the evangelical world is um 
it, it almost becomes hard to say because it, it's, it seems so elementary, but it's what we're always driving at. Pray and read your Bible, mm-hmm. pray and read your Bible. Um, and you know what? I, I believe that you can take, um, you know, two individuals who are praying and reading their Bible and this person is reading their Bible because they have to, because they feel like if they do it, they'll feel better about their day. They'll feel better about themselves. They read their Bible. They really don't want to, they don't really care to understand it, but it's like, I, I read the Bible. Okay, fine. Whatever uh, person over here. Number two can totally be doing, saying the same prayer and reading the same passage of scripture. And like, it's coming to life to them. And, right. and, and I really think that comes down to, uh, you know, we keep talking about relationship. I mean, every relationship has an ebb and a flow to it. Um, so in my context, that's typically what I, um, remind people of, like when you feel like you're stale in your spiritual life, or even when you're walking for the Lord, when you feel like you're praying and your prayers are just hitting the ceiling or when you're reading your Bible and it's just going in one ear and out the other. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I don't, I, I'm not always, um, my wife probably won't watch this, so we're probably fine, but <laughs> like, I'm not always as on fire, like you know, fixated on my wife and wanting to run toward her, uh, on a, an average Wednesday as I was, you know, uh, on our wedding day, you know, there's right. ebbs and flows right. in relationships. Right. And she would say the same things about me. In fact, sure. she's typically wanting to probably run away from me now, but, um, <laughs> now we, uh, we have to recognize that we are relational beings and there's going to be an ebb and a flow. Um, when it comes to the, the overall organizational structure of things, um, to me, that gets a little bit, into like related, but still, I think distinct area. And that is where we try to manufacture something with good intentions, but, um, it it is ultimately not it. Mm -hmm. Anything that we do in the church is not it. It's our attempt to help people understand it. But what is it? It is going back to the very first thing we're saying each individual and where they are standing before God almighty and how that's playing out in their life up to this point in this moment and moving forward. You, you can't programatize that. Um, So I don't think programs are bad. We do programs, we do initiatives, we do campaigns to like do missions work to, service events to get people involved and engaging in certain Bible studies and stuff like that. But you're always going to have a mix of people who are going through the motions versus people who are um, really getting something out of it. We just have to be careful in church leadership to recognize it doesn't matter if we come up with a perfect program. Um, it still has to, at the end of the day, we have to recognize our own limits, even in the best laid plans of a, of a program that it's only going to reach so far and we're going to have to stop doing this at some point and take another run at it in a different direction. And that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, cause there's, there's those moments where I feel like let's just get rid of it all. Like get all rid of the fluff, mm. the programs that let's just go to church and like read the Beatitudes or, you know, in, in our case, like what did Christ say to the Nephites? Like there's so much there, like let's just bathe in that and then go home. But then it, it can come off as like, Oh, well, you know, let's really increase that temple attendance. Like oh, you guys, like I'll get, yeah, uh, yeah I, I'll do that of course, but can we just bathe in Jesus for, you know, like it sure. just, sure. It, and so there is that temptation for a leader to just get rid of it. Right. And yeah. just stop doing it or diminish it or, or say it's not important or, but 
it's just this ongoing battle. But anyways, any, any other thoughts in that context? I mean, I have lots of thoughts, but um, <laughs> yeah, I, I have a good friend of mine. Um, he's just a devout follower of Jesus um, within my context. And he said one of the most profound things to me one time pertaining to ministry that I've held true. Um, he's actually in the next room here. He's a, a good friend of mine. Um, and he said that anything that we ever build, even with the best intentions, even in ministry, will at some point lose its focus and will very likely become an idol. And we'll need to tear it down and and yeah. go at it uh, again. Yeah. Um, I've just seen that to be so true in so many different ways and in ministry. So uh, once you once you mix our finite nature, our fallen nature into our attempts to even do the best ministry work, um, yeah, I get that whole feeling. Like, let's just burn it to the ground and restart. But honestly, I feel like the Lord is, is steadfast in, the, in his love and he's patient and kind and recognizes our need to be brought back to what's important. That's why I think the sacraments are so important because yeah. we're amnesiacs and we are, um, power hungry. Uh -huh. We forget what's important and, and we, we get drunk on our own aspirations and power. So that's the beautiful thing about the sacraments is it brings us back to what did I, what did I do for you? Mm. Don't, don't forget, do this in remembrance of me. Cause you know what? You're going to forget. Yeah. Right? Like I, I, I delivered the children of Israel from plagues and an angel of death and they still needed to, to, um, to institute the Passover because even that amazing event, they were going to forget eventually. So I yeah. think the Lord is patient in bringing us back to those things. And I think that, that that's okay. Yeah. Um, so I'm curious to know, like what, just with the hindsight you have of the years in, in pastoral service that you have, what, if you were to go back to day one and talk to yourself, like what are some of the paramount leadership principles that you would definitely communicate uh, on day one to yourself, if you have, if you had that time machine, what a great question. Um, I think, uh, the first thing, uh, that I would say to myself is you're going to feel a regular, um, compulsion to do things out of your own strength. Um, and you can't, hmm. so rely on others and pray, 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 bathe everything you do in prayer and seek the Holy spirit on a regular basis. Um, because, you know, I, I was in my late twenties when I launched in the ministry, that's when I had all the energy in the world that I thought I could do everything. And I, you know, there's a, there's just a tendency to try to do things in my own strength. I'm a, I'm a very strong believer in the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and the uh, enabling and the empowering that, that the Lord gifts us through his presence in our lives. And I also believe that it is a cooperative experience. And with any cooperative opportunity, there's an opportunity to not cooperate and to try to take matters into our own hands. I think Peter felt fell prey to that when he began to, um, if you remember in the book of Acts, he started to get a little too friendly with the devout Jews and he, he started to become a bit more esoteric in his gospel of approach. And Paul had to confront him on multiple occasions and be like, Hey, knock it off. Uh, this is the, this is the guy who preached the very first salvation message on the day of Pentecost. Um, and I think that's because he got wrapped up in his own status, his own strength. 
Um, and we have to really guard ourselves from that. So I think that would be the first thing. Mm, I love that. The second thing I think I would say to myself is, um, man, just, just keep, keep pointing people to Jesus. That's what matters at the end of the day. Um, I'm not saying this to be provocative. I'm saying this to be transparent about, um, how from my context. So I'm not saying this to ruffle any Latter-day Saint feathers, Sure, but this is what I've said for years. Um, drive people to Calvary, hmm. drive, like point them there, let them see the great sacrifice that he made on our behalf so that we wouldn't have to, to like see his great love hanging on the cross. Um, and, uh, never lose sight of that. Um, drive people to the tomb, remind them that it's empty and that we have a blessed hope awaiting us and that this temporal existence isn't all there is. So don't do things in your own strength, you know, walk by the spirit, do everything in the spirit. Um, keep people pointing to Jesus, what he did on the cross and keep people pointing to what he has afforded us in the, the coming um, eternal reality of this existence. Those are three, I think really helpful ladder uh, uh, um, rallying points when walking alongside people day to day. Yeah. I'm curious about the, 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 the last two, like, what does that look like maybe as you prepare a sermon? Um, and maybe, I, I don't know. I, I feel like correct me if I'm wrong, but like in our faith tradition, there's so many, um, there's so many doctrinal components and moving parts as far as like, we got fasting, we got, uh, temples, we got, uh, covenants, We've got, um, you know, uh, ministering assignments, like all these things. And again, it goes back to these programs. It's like the gravity of the program sometimes that even shows up in our sermons. Like, cause intellectually people say, well, I'm giving a talk about the, about temple work. Of course that's doctrine. And so I must be preaching doctrine, but there's, then there's no mention of, of Jesus. Right. So, I mean, is it always just making sure you bring it back to, frame it around and hang it on the, the, the Jesus himself or, or what does that look like as you, as you prepare a sermon? Well, um, well, there's a really strong belief just scholastically and theologically with an evangelical tradition that everything points to Jesus, everything mm -hmm. from the first word in Genesis to the last word in revelation, it all points to Jesus, which means there is no point of scripture where you can't in some way, shape or form, see the character of God mm -hmm. and the will of God through what he did through Jesus, whether you're in judges or whether you're in Jude or whether you're in revelation. So um, it really comes down to that's And that's how, from a, a sermon standpoint, how we're trained to study the Bible. There's a fantastic book by uh, the former president of covenant seminary um, named Brian chapel called uh, preaching the gospel through the entire Bible, I think is what it is. Mm -hmm. But um it's basically saying, yeah, I mean, you can do, I've heard guys preach some of the most powerful like gospel messages out of Leviticus, you know, yeah, uh, out of like cut the dove's wings and face it in this direction. Um, because where, where we can see what God was up to in the, even the sacrificial system. So to answer your question, yeah, I mean, I think that it's, um, I think it's there in the Bible. I think it's, 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 it's there already. Um, it's just helping people who are going to be, you know, let's be honest. We all do it. We're going to be focused on jobs and volleyball and, um, you know, uh, boy scouts and whatever else we're doing that's consuming our attention. Um, 
that we just need to remind people, bring them back to what matters and um, how that plays out in their lives. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah and I, I would, you know, from my latter day saint perspective, just, you know, telling this audience, like, and it's all there in the book of Mormon too. Like Jesus is everywhere. And it's, you can do that with every verse in the book of Mormon, just as well as you can do it in the Bible. And I think we sometimes just fail to take that last step. You know, we sort of like, well, it's everybody knows I'm talking about Jesus. So do I really have to say like, no, he, like you'll find redemption through him. And, and if you're, if your week's going bad, maybe just turn to him or, you know, Sometimes that last step gets missed, but it's tough sure. for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I want to ask you just from, as you, as you've wandered into the waters of, of the church of Jesus Christ, Latter-day Saint, our cultures and, and our doctrines and whatnot, like, cause with, as I talked to other people, like, uh, my good friend, Gary Miller, he's a former Baptist minister who converted to our church. And mm-hmm. so his experience and many experience of others, like I've never lived in a world where I've discovered more scripture, like, wow, like a whole book of Mormon, like more words of Jesus. Like that's incredible. Right. Um, and so it's interesting to me. So for me, I can meet someone like you and it's like, you're not embracing the book of Mormon. Come on, Jeff. I mean, I mean, it is, it's so good, you know, just like, yeah, just take it. Come on. <laughs> Come on. It's great. Right. So I'm interested just on your, um, your journey through this, like how you discover these things, process them, reconcile them. Um, and, and maybe there's a wrestle at times, but, and I'm not, I don't necessarily want to put you on the hot seat. Like, all right, you tell me why the book of Mormon isn't, isn't legit or whatever, but I'm just curious of your journey. So like what, what as you've just generally speaking with the doctrines, as you've started to explore them, whatnot, like what's been that experience been like and what surprised you about it? Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for asking this question. I appreciate it because, um, it, it, it affords me the opportunity just to be fully transparent and honest, which is what yeah. I want. And that yeah. is, um, I haven't read it yet. So, and that's key. And I, I've been pretty upfront about that with everybody. Like I haven't uh-huh. read it yet. Okay. Have you, have you read a chapter, a verse or I maybe read one or two verses out of okay. something or another Nephi where he appears to the Lamanites. Is that right? <laughs> the Christ appears to the, the Nephites. Yeah. yeah. The Nephites. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, uh-huh. I, I, ha- I haven't read it. So, so I, I, I'm going to make sure before I bring any criticism to the table that I'm upfront about that. Yeah. So and is I, there, so I'm curious, like, why haven't you read it? Or maybe you're just busy or sometimes there's this, like, uh, I'm not even going, that's, it's almost like evil to me. Like I've heard that answer. Like I'm just not sure. even going to entertain the idea. Right. Yeah. Well, that, that answer has changed has been changing a few times for me. I think prior to three years ago, I would have said, well, because I, I I'm just going to be honest with you. Cause I would have, yeah. thought, it's probably evil. Like mm-hmm. an angel gave a gospel to somebody that I believe from what I've been told it, it's contrary to the Bible. So why would I read yeah. that? Um, I, I don't feel great about having such a dismissive view about that, you know? Um, mm-hmm. because to be honest with you, um, I also have felt that about the Quran, but I don't think there's any, this goes back to what I was saying earlier. There's, there is nothing wrong with us as we're seeking truth and seeking to understand what, even what other people believe just to, to know it. So, um, I think that I'm recovering from that mindset. Yeah. Um, so you plan to read it. 
But oh, it yeah, just yeah. Has, yeah, okay. All right. <laughs> okay, yeah. So so I do plan to read it. Um, I don't have an aversion to reading it at this point. In fact, I'm I'm excited to read it. Uh, what I've uh, what I've been doing right now though is um I have a lot on my plate. So yeah. I know that sounds like a, an excuse, but it's really the reality because because I'm in addition to being involved in various ministry things, um for just livelihood purposes, I've been working uh, in some production areas as well, not related to Hello Saints. And yet Hello Saints is like my heart and my passion. That's like all I want to do. So I'm actually trying to put myself in a position to respond to things and to re- to like produce content for Hello Saints that doesn't require me to have read the Book of Mormon yet. Uh-huh. Yeah. So that in a very, hopefully soon, uh, hopefully very soon here, I, and by soon, I mean within the next couple months, um, I do want to read it. And I actually have an idea on how I would like to read it with my audience. Um, so and- also what you're saying here, Jeff, is that you have a Patreon page and maybe the more that Patreon number goes up, the more likely you are to read the Book of Mormon. I'm just going <laughs> to maybe to read the Book of Mormon. <laughs> nah, no, I'm not saying that. Although, if but, you do I, want to no, I don't. Patreon, feel, yeah, feel I mean, it in a way that that, you know, that would maybe help you free up some time so you could create more content. Not that's, we don't want to pay you to read the book of Mormon, Jeff. We, <laughs> that's a valid point. No, I, I appreciate that. Yes. Yes. Um, but as far as, so th- that's just, I haven't read it. Um, how do, how do I regard it right now though? And, um, I want to make sure I, I hit your question. I answer it squarely here. Um, why haven't I embraced it yet? Okay. So the main reason is because I haven't read it yet. Um, The second reason would be because um, I have such a strong conviction that uh, the word of God is inspired and adequate for all teaching correction and reproof. Second Timothy chapter three, 16 through 17. I believe the Bible is all that is needed Uh um, for faith in Christ and reconciliation with God. Um, so that just comes down to a motivation thing. I don't feel motivated to read it because I feel like, um, like I, I think I'm good yeah. now. I, I can right. hear some devout Latter-day Saint friends saying to me right now, like <laughs> that seems pretty close minded to me. And, and maybe it is. Well, and, I'll, and I'll say that's why I've never read the Quran. It's like, it hasn't, sure. it doesn't intellectually intrigue me. I'm like, I'm good. Yeah. You know? Yeah. yeah. And, and I think thirdly too, um, and I have to be really careful with this because again, I, I'm fighting criticism with curiosity. That is, yeah. that is not a, a statement of, I have arrived piety. That yeah. is no, no. When I say fight, I chose that word, that, that word for a reason. It's a battle. Yeah, it really is. Um, th- all of the different things that I've looked at as it pertains to the historicity, the DNA evidence, all that other stuff that I have understood if, if I'm going to be honest with you, it kind of makes me pause it. Like, I, I don't know if I, I'm already going into it skeptical. Right. So right. I mean, I'm even trying to work through some of that as to not go into it with just like <laughs> that type right. of attitude. Yeah. And as a Latter-day Saint, I like, and I think would speak for many to say don't walk into it like that, you know? Yeah. Like, so if you need to take some time to get through that, like, sure. fine, do that. Right. But, yeah. and, and I don't know, and this is what, you know, we, we preach as, as missionaries, like if you're going to read the book, like really determine if it's scripture, cause it may not be. And if it's not, sure. that's fine. You know, for sure. me, I've found that it is right. So yeah. definitely 
I, I can see that's a very good reason not to just jump into it being like, all right, let's see what this Joe Smith character wrote about. You know, yeah, right. I got a little work to do there, uh, like on yeah. a heart level. Um, and and I think the last thing that I would say is that I um, I just I believe that it is possible. And this is this is actually on the on the pro side as far as like how I just regard the Book of Mormon. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe that it is possible that there are very even if it's not scripture, that there could be very um, clear truisms within it that reflect the Word of God. And mm-hmm. f- from what I, I've even been trying to work through with some of my Latter Day Saint friends as I'm going into it is this is why some of them are being like just read the Book of Mormon is because there are some things within the book of Mormon that don't even seem to totally match up with like extra things that Joseph taught or uh-huh. even stuff that's in doctrines and covenants and stuff like that. Because right. I'm hearing some of my Latter-day Saint friends being like, you know, the God of the book of Mormon is presented in a very like eternal, omnipotent borderline Trinitarian sense, as opposed to some of the, extra book of Mormon accounts that Joseph had or the King Follett discourse or uh-huh. doctrine and covenants that right. might paint a picture that is more tied to the, the tropes that people attach to the Latter-day Saints, as opposed to like, just clear all that out of the way for a second and just read the book of Mormon first. Yeah. So, right. Yeah. Cool. Well, those will be some good videos when, when you get to that point, you know, to, yeah. to see you experience that. Um, and then, just with like, what, what about Joseph Smith himself? Like, I'm sure because we we hear this history of like, even like there's these meetings where people come, you know, in the evangelical tradition and they just like tear apart Mormonism for, for a good 60 minutes. Be like, All right. So if those two elders come to your door, just uh, use those five scriptures and, and run them off. Like, and so how, how, what is your perception and relationship with Joseph Smith been like or understanding of it? Um, I'm glad you're not asking me about Brigham Young because I have stronger feelings about Brigham Young. <laughs> okay, well, um, many of our I members just, do as well, but yeah. go Cougars, by the way. But <laughs> yeah, okay. Uh, is that that's the mascot for BYU, right? That's right. Yes. Uh, okay. <laughs> Brigham Young. So I'm out of the loop. <laughs> I um, um, I just finished reading a biography on Brigham Young. Um, but it, I also I read Rough Stone Rolling, nice. and um, I've had some church members be like great. You know, it seems like a, a relatively fair presentation. Others have been like, oh, he had an agenda. Bushman had an agenda. But I mean, between that and a few things that I've read, um, he he seemed to be a product of his time. That's how I regard him. Mm-hmm. He, was, he was a young man um, in a part of the country where uh, there was some significant things taking place as part of the second great awakening. And he was asking a lot of questions that I think a lot of people were asking. Yeah. Um, and I, I don't fault him for that. Um, once he began, so I'll just tell you the things that I struggle with yeah. and then I'll tell you the things that I am not struggling with, but I'm like more intrigued by um, I struggle with the fact that um, it's not even, it's true that even when I did my, my video on Palmyra, like the whole idea that God and Jesus are two distinct beings that he met with in the first vision and the sacred grove and all these other things. Uh-huh. Yeah. On a theological level, I'm like, eh, 
Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, right. yeah. But at the same time, I don't think someone who comes to Jesus has to like embrace a Trinitarian view in order to be saved. So I can set that aside. Uh-huh. So it's not even that type of stuff. It's more of he seemed to be driving people toward um, this whole endowment centered, um, progressive centric form of Christianity that um, I don't believe um, it rubs against what I understand the salvation agenda is of God. Mm-hmm. He's not trying to get us to progress. He's, he's trying to redeem us. It's about redemption. It's about reconciled relationship with him. And I know that a lot of Latter-day Saints would probably say the same thing as well, but to, a lot of the endowment ceremonies, the ceilings, the, um, the Masonic uh, ties are all just super curious to me because um, it, it, it does start to drive things back to a merit-based works based, mm-hmm. um, type of situation, you know, the, and, and I'm, I'm going to stop there cause I don't know what I'm talking about, sure. but those types of concepts that he introduced as part of what is now Latter-day Saint, um, tradition is it strays from what I understand the gospel to be. Yeah. So that just makes me skeptical of, of him yeah. off the bat, uh, yeah. let alone, you know, did he plagiarize, you know, was this, was there a, a fiction book out there that he actually copied for the Book of Mormon? I don't know. There's got spe- speculation. Here's yeah. the other thing, you know, and this is really important what I'm about to say. Okay. A lot of people would be like, well, but you know, what about his polygamy? And what about, you know, he hid it from Emma and what about like all the other like squirrely things he was involved in? What about the Kirtland bank? And I'm like, I don't know. Like I wasn't there. Like I know that Jacob had a bunch of wives and I don't think that was okay. I, I know Solomon had like hundreds of concubines. It, it, is that specific issue what disqualifies someone from being a part of what God is doing? Um, I mean, I have a problem with it. I do. It mm-hmm. makes me, it, it, it makes me kind of like, I'm not totally comfortable with this, but that's why whenever I did a video on Joseph Smith, I actually didn't touch those things because if I'm going to disqualify Joseph for those things, I can hear people right away saying, well, then you need to disqualify Abraham. Yeah. You need to disqualify right. Jacob. You need to disqualify David. All this. So I'm like, I'm not going to go there. So very that's, complicated that's, prophets throughout the history of, of time. Yeah. Right? Yeah. The things that intrigue me. Uh, the thing that intrigues me most about what Joseph Smith introduced, what he experienced and what was conveyed through his establishment of the church is really tied to some of the spiritual manifestations that took place. Um, there were these, you know, in Kirtland, I think it was when they were first, there was some meeting, I think it was tied to the temple. I'm not entirely sure, but like the leaders got together and they're experiencing these very, what I would call Pentecostal experiences mm-hmm. and um, words of wisdom, prophetic utterances, speaking in tongues. Yeah. I think you're referring like the school of the prophets is the school of the prophets is which uh, also takes place yeah. in Utah with Brigham, right? I believe so. Yeah. But it's often when you, hear, when you hear school of the prophets, you think of, uh, you know, Kirtland and, and those yeah. early times. Yeah. So, um, I can hear my evangelical brothers right now being like, yeah, there can be false signs and wonders, you know, Uh the Bible talks about that. It's like, okay, fair enough. But it's intriguing enough to me to say it's worth, it's worth looking into and understanding more rather than just dismissing. And that's why an ongoing look at Joseph on my end 
And a reading of the Book of Mormon, I think, is, is just really important for my next few steps. Yeah. Yeah. And I really appreciate that. All those perspectives you said, you know, the, the good and the bad are the, the ones that maybe hurt a little bit just because in it, you get so, um, you know, it's just hard to frame them that way when you've been in it for so long. Right. It's just like, Oh, like, no, that's just yeah. how things are done. Like, you know, the, the fact that, you know, why wouldn't anybody want a temple, you know, like, and then the sure. covenants in the temple and, and, uh, yeah. So I appreciate it. Let me put you on the seat a little bit there because it is intriguing just to see, you know, I think we can learn a lot when we understand how other people are sort of picking them apart or untangling these concepts. Cause we sort of show up and be like, what, you don't want your, you know, to be sealed to your family forever. Like what's the problem? But it's like, well, no, there's sure. a little more to it than that. Right. Yeah. Um, right. We, we simple oversimplified at times. So that's, sure. that's really helpful. Um, yeah. Any other, any other concept or thought that we haven't covered on you want to make sure we, we, we cover before we wrap up or. I'm grateful to be on this, this journey. I'm grateful to have been for the large part received, um, by the Latter-day Saints. That has been the most touching and encouraging aspect to this. Um, I. I'm excited for the Lord to continue to reveal how he works outside of our expectations. And I say that in both directions. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I believe that God is doing something in the lives of, um, people, regardless of, of what your faith tradition is. And at the end of the day, um, I believe something significant is happening at that place where, the Latter-day Saints and the rest of Christianity meets. I think there's something significant taking place there. I don't know what it is. I could, mm -hmm. I could give some opinions, but I'll, I'll withhold it other than saying that based on the interactions I'm having with people and based, based on some of the opportunities that are opening up that um, I'm excited to be a part of it and to continue the conversation and build a relationship and see what the Lord does. Yeah. Well, as uh, one Latter-day Saint who I really, I don't represent anybody, but myself, but I just thank you so much for the dignity, like you said, the dignity you've brought to this, that you've, you're at least taking us seriously. You're not just dismissing us. Uh, you're not just putting us in a box. And so that's what gets me excited every time I see one of your videos pop up and like, I just want to hear what he has to say about <laughs> what we're, who we are and, and the, the tradition we're living and the ways that we're striving to become more like uh, Jesus Christ. Um, and so thank you for doing that. Um, why don't you tell us one more time uh, where they can, they can find you. Yeah. Um, first and foremost, uh, youtube.com slash hello saints. Um, check me out there. That's where I put the bulk of my content. Um, if you want to reach out to me, probably the best way to do that is going to be at hello.saints on Instagram. Um, and you can also find my email address in the about section on uh, my YouTube channel. So there's a few different ways you can reach out to me. And of course, check me out on Patreon. Um, I am uh, really appreciative of any support that people want to give. And that also opens up other avenues of interacting with me if, if there's some um, desire there to support me on Patreon. But that's just uh, patreon.com slash hello saints. And, um, I'm really hoping to eventually expand onto a couple other platforms. I've done a little bit on Instagram reels and TikTok, and not very much on Facebook, but I'm hoping eventually to get into those spaces, but one thing at a time. And, and the other thing that I really am wanting to do, um, I haven't really talked about this very much is I, I would really love it within the next three to six months 
to launch like a Hello Saints podcast and to have oh, more yeah. conversational interactions. So we'll see oh, where it goes. There's plenty of room in the pool, Jeff. So hop yeah. on in. So. I'm glad <laughs> nice. to swim with you. Nice. All right. Last question I have for you, Jeff, as you reflect on uh, primarily your, your time as a pastor and as a leader, how has being a leader helped you become a better follower of Jesus Christ? Yeah. What a great question. What a fantastic question. Um, uh, the, the two things that I'm always focused on the most when I'm declaring the good news to people or, or walking through the word. And, and it's these two questions. Um, do I have a very clear grasp on what I'm declaring and what I'm calling people to? And those are two different things. When Jesus came, he, he made declarations that were blowing people's minds, but he didn't leave it at declarations. He, he then brought it into a, an invitation or a call. And I think as I've recognized those primary actions or responsibilities as a pastor, it's allowed me to see the beauty and the clarity that this almighty infinite God has made the declaration through his son Jesus so clear and the call and the invitation so open and so clear that this, this sort of cycle that I'm wanting to, to emulate that even more. So loving people through that context of, of declaring what is true and what is good and inviting them into that is really nothing more than plagiaristic attempt to do what he's done for us. And, and that's made it so much more exciting to be a follower. That concludes this episode of the Leading Saints podcast. We'd love to hear from you about your questions or thoughts or comments. You can either leave a comment on the uh, post related to this episode at leadingsaints.org or go to leadingsaints.org slash contact and send us your perspective or questions. If there's other episodes or topics you'd like to hear on the Leading Saints podcast, go to leadingsaints.org slash contact and share with us the information there. And we would love for you to share this with any individual you think this would apply to, especially maybe individuals in your ward council or other leaders that you may know who would really appreciate the perspectives that we discussed. Remember, we'd love to have you at our next in-person retreat. Go check out the different options and locations where we're having these at leadingsaints.org slash gathering. It came as a result of the position of leadership which was imposed upon us by the God of heaven who brought forth a restoration of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when the declaration was made concerning the own and only true and living church upon the face of the earth, we were immediately put in a position of loneliness. The loneliness of leadership from which we cannot shrink nor run away, and to which we must face up with boldness and courage and ability.